0: Good morning folks. Why don't you grab your Bibles out and turn them to 1 Corinthians, that's where we're wrapping our series. Look, if you weren't here last week, you missed out on a real treat. Um, My buddy Alan Moss was passing through town and we wrung his arm backwards and said, look, come and preach here and he... um, He came here last week and preached through 1 Corinthians or a good portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and absolutely nailed it, if I could say so. Sent him a message during the week, just um, grateful for his ministry. If you haven't watched it, um, our sermons are online. You can go back onto our website, look up sermons and hopefully you can navigate it reasonably well and look it up. And I think one of the things that I appreciated about the way that Alan approached 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as it starts to look into spiritual gifts was that so many people probably jumped the gun a little bit by focusing in on really specific gifts, maybe. And what Alan helped us do last week was kind of take a step back from it all. And he directed our attention as to why, most importantly, and how the gifts of the Spirit work together. And one of the things he said that stood out to me was, this is less about the gifts and more about the people. And I think that that's become even more apparent today. So as a way of kind of preparing our hearts and minds for today's passage, and I would hazard a guess that even if you haven't been coming to church very long, there's a good chance that you will have heard This passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, probably read out at a wedding that you might have attended at some point in time. Sometimes it's referred to as the love chapter of the Bible. But before we read it, let's do a recap of the most significant ideas, I think, from chapter 12. And why we do that is going to become apparent and more obvious as we go on. But before we even do that... Let's ask the Lord to help us as we go into his word. Lord, thank you for your love for us that we've been singing about, that we've been reflecting on. Not some sort of um, far away love, not some sort of love that's even hard to define. You've showed us love in specific ways. So that as we, as your church now, gather around your word, we do it in a service of love, in a, in a response to love, Lord, because we know that you love us even through your word as you speak to us. Um, all of us come in different states of mind today, um, battling maybe bad news or complications in our family or in our relationships. Maybe we argued with each other just before leaving home. Maybe we were yelling at the kids or... Lord, whatever, whatever path led us here, Holy Spirit, will you just shape our hearts now to hear God's voice clearly and see it as it's revealed in his word? We pick on a couple of context, uh, concepts from chapter 12 that I think are going to help sort of lay a bit of a foundation, set the scene for where I think 1 Corinthians 13 really comes in. So here's key concept number one from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that's worth uh, reflecting on. A good way to think about gifts is to always connect them to people. Alan spoke about that last week. A good way to think about gifts is always connect them to people. Because gifts don't operate on their own. There's not like a special tap that we turn on. There's not a special, you know, filter that we can apply to the screen, which says now it's gift time. Like gifts don't operate in a vacuum. They operate with people. All right. So a good way to think about gifts is to always connect them to people. That's key concept number one. Key concept number two from chapter 12. A good way to think about people and gifts is to connect them to a body, right? People and the gifts that we have received were never designed to fly solo. Instead, they're designed to work in partnership with other people and other, other gifts. So a good way to think about people and gifts is to connect them to a body. Key concept number three. From 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a good way to think about a body of gifted people is to connect it to a circle and not a triangle. What I mean by that is this. Gifts do not come with a hierarchy of importance. Every gift is different. Every gift is essential. All right. Three concepts that I think are evidenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that I just wanted to highlight this morning before reading chapter 13. Uh, One more thing I want to just sort of try and tease out of chapter 12 a little bit. There are two ways that I think that we can get our thinking twisted when we start talking about gifts, at least two ways. Uh, The church has been, has a long history, a 2,000 year long history of getting the idea of spiritual gifts pretty twisted. The fact that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth when he did is enough evidence of that. But there are two ways that we can get our thinking twisted about gifts. The first one is this. This is the first problem. You can approach the concept of gifts with the I'm not enough problem. All right. The I'm not enough problem. If you have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a moment, um, hopefully you found chapter 13. Just go back. 1 Corinthians 12, I want you to just have a look at verse 15 and verse 16 for a moment. And remember, Paul's been talking about gifts and he's been talking about them like an analogy of the human body, different parts of the body. This is the I'm not enough problem. Have a look at verse 15 and verse 16. It says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong in the body. It is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong in the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And Paul continues. But this, I think, illustrates the fact that in the church, one of the things that we can do when we think about gifts is we can look around us, look at the church, look at everyone that's doing things, look at the way that service is happening, look at the way that ministry is going on. And you look at everybody else and you think, well, I'm, I'm not enough. Right? You could approach this church, you could approach any church that you go to, you could look around, you could look at all the things that you do, and you say, well, when I think about my gifting, I compare it to everybody else and I say, well, I'm not enough. That's what Paul's describing when he says, you know, the, uh, the hand, uh, sorry, the foot, the foot looks up at the hand and says, you know what, I can't do all the things that that hand does I don't deserve to be in this body. I'm not enough. Paul says no. And uh, the ear, the ear says, "Wow, look at that eye! Look at what that eye can do. That eye is amazing. I'll never be able to do what that eye can do. I'm not enough." Paul says no. That's that's not true. So, there's one way that you could be thinking about gifts this morning, and that is, I'm not enough. Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, no, that's not right. You are exactly what this body needs. If you are just simply doing what God's given you to do. That's one way that we can get twisted up in our thinking about gifts, the I'm not enough problem. Here's the second way. The second way that we can get twisted in our thinking about gifts is not so much I'm not enough, but you're not enough. You're not enough. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 21. Have a look at that one for a moment. He's going to continue the same analogy about the body. Verse 21 says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Can you see what's happening in this body? Some members of the body are looking at other members and saying, I can never be like that. I'm not enough. Other members of the body were looking at other parts of the body and saying, you know what? I'm not sure that we need you. You're not enough. And there are two ways that we can get twisted in our thinking. The first way is about an inferiority complex. I have an inferiority complex about my usefulness in the church in this body. I have an under realized view of my significance to the body of Christ. I'm not useful. I don't have anything special that I can do when I compare myself to everybody else. I just feel hopeless. And so I'm never going to be able to do anything here. Because I don't have such and such a gift, I don't belong here. Let me tell you as clearly and as succinctly as I can, that's wrong. I, I know that might be how you feel. Or maybe there's lots of other things that are going on, but God says that's not correct. The other problem, though, is that we might not have an inferiority complex. We might have a superiority complex. We might think that our place in the body is so important that nobody else can sort of match it. If that's the case, then we would have an over realized view of our own significance in the body. And also, Paul says, God says, and I want to say, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's the one place where our Australian tall poppy syndrome might come in actually handy. Just pull your head in a bit. You're not that important. And neither am I. Remember, our gifts don't come with a hierarchy of importance. Every gift is different. Every gift is essential. So I want to, this morning... Try to put love in its proper place. My goal is to put love in its proper place. And you might think, it's at the wedding ceremony, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What, what better place for us to read 1 Corinthians 13 than at the wedding ceremony? No, it's not there. In fact, the best place to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is right after 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and just before 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's what we're going to try and do. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that if you had 1 Corinthians chapter 13 read out at your wedding ceremony that for some reason you now have an invalid <laughs> um, marriage or something. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be read out at weddings, don't go away and say, oh, Chris doesn't like weddings... Or that marriages can't benefit from building relationships which are based on the, the principles that we will read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Of course they will. What I am saying is that Paul was not thinking about wedding royalties when he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul was not thinking, I know the perfect chapter now that's going to be able to read out at every single wedding for the next 2,000, 3,000 years, however long it is before Jesus comes back again. 1 Corinthians 13 must be first seen as the heartbeat of a healthy church before it can be seen as the heartbeat of a healthy marriage. More specifically, if you want to explore this morning your own personal spiritual giftedness and how that gift might fit in with the rest of the body, then 1 Corinthians 13 is the summit of... From which all other passages on spiritual gifts should be viewed. The reason I know this is because Paul tells us this. I'm not I didn't do some special course at Bible College to try and figure that out, alright? You you can see that this morning yourself. I want you to have a look at it. Paul tells us at the very end of chapter 12, as he's talking about all these amazing gifts that are happening, the way that they can be used, the way that they're connected to people. And then he gets right to the end, verse 31. Have a look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Paul says, but desire the greater gifts. And then the second part of that little verse, before we launch into chapter 13, is this. And I will show you, An even better way. Now I will show you an even better way. Alright. So we know that as Paul's thinking about spiritual gifts, he's thinking about the types of gifts that we have, the way that those gifts work with each other, the way that we can even desire spiritual gifts. Paul gets to the end of all of that discussion and he says, now I want to tell you about a better way. In fact, the English Standard Version or some other versions of the Bible say, I want to show you an even more excellent way. All right, sounds like the Bill and Ted version. Most Most excellent. All right. Before I read it, I want to ask you some serious questions this morning. I want you to just reflect on this for yourself for a moment. We can talk very broadly we can talk about church in general but i want you to think very specifically about raymond terrace community church today some of you have been here almost your entire lifetime some of you may be even just here for the very first time today some of you have been here since the pandemic some prior to we've all come from different pathways but i want you to think about this church and the fact that you're here today i want to ask you the question do you feel like you fit here? Do you feel like you fit? Or maybe a more uncomfortable way of asking that question for us, especially as a leadership, as we reflect on this. Do you feel like you don't fit here? Do you feel like you're just coming, but you think, I wonder where I fit? I feel like I'm just a face, like I could come and go and no one would know? do you feel like you don't fit or maybe maybe you're at a point where you're wondering how you fit how do i fit here where is my place another question i would like to ask is do you know what your spiritual gift is we talk a lot about spiritual gifts we have been over the last few weeks if we were to have a cup of coffee afterwards or just a personal conversation during the week and someone was to ask you, could you tell me what your spiritual gift is? Would you be able to answer them? Do you know? Or maybe, are you wondering how your spiritual gift can be used here in this church? So as I read 1 Corinthians 13 through now, I want you to have echoing in your mind the goal that paul has for us as we read this all right 1 corinthians 12 31 and i will show you an even better way you see one of the ways where you can fit in this church or at least a way to find out how you can fit or what special gifts maybe the spirit has given to you is to pursue the gifts themselves, right? Let's chase after what those gifts are. Let's explore those, each individual gift. But Paul says there's actually a more excellent way. A better way. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read it to you in the Christian Standard Bible, follow along in whatever translation you have in front of you. And then we're just going to make a couple of reflections about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me read from verse 31 of the chapter before, and I will show you an even better way. Verse 1. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains... ...but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions... ...and if I give over my body in order to boast... ...but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. That's God's word. It's also, what Paul says, a better way to discover your giftedness. We've got to try and figure out why. Why is that a better way, Paul? Shouldn't I just do the network course? Shouldn't I do a gift assessment online? What's better about this? Well, let's see if we can figure it out, all right? I'm going to make three observations about this passage. You potentially have heard plenty of sermons on this passage before, at a wedding or focusing on the different things that Paul describes love as being, and we'll touch on those. But I'm aiming at thinking, why is Paul saying that this is better if we want to figure out how we fit in service with the body of Christ? So let's see if we can get to the bottom of that. Here's the first observation that I want you to try and take note of. And really, this comes from the first three verses of that chapter. So verses 1 through to 3, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. And really, this is going to be summed up in um, I think Paul's describing an emptiness. There's a type of emptiness of the impressive when love is absent. All right? There's an emptiness of the impressive when love is absent. Is absent. And so you get this description back in verses 1 through 3 where Paul prefaces a type of giftedness, a really obvious way, and he, he says, if, right, if, so he's not saying necessarily that he does have this or that anyone has this necessarily, he's just simply saying, if, if I could speak human or angelic tongues, all right, if that was your giftedness, the ability to speak the language of heaven, that you could converse with angels and at a spiritual level, and if you had sort of an eloquence of the human tongue even, that was so gifted, so extraordinary, it would be impressive, wouldn't it? I think it would be. In fact, in lots of churches, in lots of history of Christian church, there's definitely been some sort of sense of impressiveness about that, that Christians have been drawn to. Paul's not saying it isn't impressive, but what he says is that if love is missing from that, it might look impressive, but it's completely empty. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but I do not have love, I am what? Right? Paul says you might as well just be a symbol. The least, my least favorite thing on the drum kit is a symbol. right. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the fact that it has its place. I know that some musicians, percussionists, will be like, no, 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 Chris, I want to argue about that. That's cool. I won't listen. Um, I've already made my mind up. No, the, the reality is, is that I have a bit of a hearing problem and that the frequency that the symbol that the cuts through on my hearing is jarring to me. It's okay. I don't make a big deal about it. Whatever. But it's my least favourite thing. It's just like, oh, turn down the symbols, you know. Paul says that's what human speech and even angelic tongues can be like if love isn't at its root. He says it's just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just noise. Not noise in its right place, not noise accompanying anything else. It's just noise. Speak all you like, even in human tongues. Speak all you like, even in angelic tongues. Unless love is at the heart of it, Paul says it's empty. It's a clanging symbol. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, right? If I have spiritual insight to be able to see beyond the superficial, Paul says, if I have faith that I can move mountains, We love that symbolism, don't we, in the Bible as Christians so often? You know, faith that can move mountains. We only need it, a little tiny mustard seed, by the way, Jesus says. Not like you have to muster up superhuman amounts of it or anything. But Paul says, even if that was the case, even if you had the type of faith that you could look at a mountain, say, jump into the sea and it obeyed you. That's impressive, right? I don't care who you are. That's impressive. That's like... Marvel, next level, impressive. But you can do all of that, Paul says. And if you do not have love, Paul says, you're nothing. The impressive is not what matters there, Paul says. What is at the heart of it makes the difference. And it must be love. If I give away all my possessions, if you have the spiritual gift of giving... If you're one of those people that no matter what... If you are one of those people, I'd love to have a conversation with you, that's fine. If you love giving away things, I love I have the spiritual gift of receiving. Um, but you can be one of those people that just give in extraordinary ways, impressive ways, even to the point that you might have the gift of martyrdom. I can tell you what, when we do the spiritual gift assessment online, Nobody these days seems to have the gift of martyrdom yeah. i've got the gift of whatever it is where's the gift of dying coming in on that list funnily enough it was right down the bottom i did not score very high on that one at all but paul says maybe you've got the gift of being able to give you over your over your body to death even but he says you know what if you don't have love you gain nothing you gain nothing So that's the first observation. It's simply the fact that there is an emptiness of the impressive when love is absent. Here's the second thing I want you to notice about this whole passage. Second observation is this. Love is more than a vibe. Love is more than a vibe. Um, Christians love to talk about love we talk about love in this church a lot. How would we define it? Or is love just a sort of like, oh, you know, the Beatles, right? All we need is love. I knew you would do that. I literally I did not cue that up and I even have a, com- I wish I'd had a conversation with someone going, Betcha Tim goes, no 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 at the same I knew you'd do that. I love you, mate. But love is more than a vibe. And we can can sing all those sorts of songs, you know, about all we need is love. Let's all just love each other. Let's lean into each other. Let's be community and all sorts of things like that. But at the end of the day, love is something that can be described. Love is something that is experienced. Love is something that is given. And if you're a 1990s DC talk fan, love is a verb. Alright? Love is a verb. It's an action. Look at how Paul describes it for a moment. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Is not boastful. Is not arrogant. Is not rude. And it goes on and on. I want you to notice something though. How much of that description starts to sound a little bit like the fruits of the Spirit? Yeah. The fruits of the Spirit, right? Who knows those? We put Marty on the spot last week to do John chapter 3, verse 16. We're not going to do it again this week, mate. He's he's done these ones at me. Anybody want to give me the fruits of the spirit verse? Yell it out. Love is what? Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, not a song. That's fine. What is it? Fruits of the spirit of what? Brilliant. Great job. Now, you could be reading or reciting from Galatians, or you could be paraphrasing 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because they sound very similar. When the Spirit of God is evident in someone's life, it's not necessarily the excessiveness and impressiveness of the giftedness that shows up. But it certainly sounds like it is the fruit of the Spirit that does. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It isn't irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Who wants to be a part of a church where that is the type of community that exists? All right? And that's why I say, yes, it's good to think about a marriage based on that. We all want marriages like that or at least we want our spouse to be like that yeah. mine is already she's watching at home mine is but can i just suggest that that maybe first or at, at least at the very same time as we we're focusing on our marriages being love marriages 1 corinthians 13 marriages let's start thinking about our church like that right How do we connect? How do we serve with one another? When you're on a ministry team with each other, when you're connecting with each other outside of these types of services, love is what? Patience, right? We're patient. How how about kindness? Is kindness evidence in our church? What about the sort of thing where it says it doesn't envy where we're not looking at somebody else or something else and starting to say, man, if only I could do that or if only I could be a part of something like that or if only people recognise me like that. It's certainly not boastful, Paul says. A church community where people aren't walking around saying, hey, look at me, I'm an eye, I'm not a foot. Look at me, I'm a hand, I can do so many things, I'm not a foot or whatever it is that you are. What about a church that doesn't keep a record of wrongs in their relationships? Do you? Oh, man, I can remember 23 years ago, right? I brought brought some dessert out there, and they didn't serve it. They had had a dessert day. They left mine on the bench. And I remember who did it, too. I'm not going to tell you their name. And I remember... We can laugh about things like that. But I tell you, there's been silly things that have split churches apart. There have been some silly things that have destroyed the testimony of the gospel in communities. Do we keep a record of wrongs? Love doesn't. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. It rejoices in truth. It bears all things. It bears them. Do you know what bearing means? It means it's hard. We sometimes think that a place where love is, everything's easy. It's not. Love is most evident when it's hard. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. It just doesn't stop. That's how Paul describes a community of God's people who are in the Spirit and connected with each other. Love is more than a vibe. It's a verb. Third thing and last thing that I want you to take notice of in this passage. Paul says that gifts have an expiry date, but love doesn't. Gifts have an expiry date. Verse 8 said, love never ends. But as for prophecies, and now he's going to just pick on a couple of different gifts spiritual gifts that the bible talks about as for prophecies they'll come to an end as for tongues paul says they'll cease as for knowledge it'll come to an end right and then he has this sort of description about we know in part we prophesy in part but then the perfect comes and a lot of debate about what that means the perfect comes um i've certainly been told over the years that well This was written as a prior to all the Bible being put together and that what Paul is sort of saying is that when all the Bible is together, then that's all we'll need and we won't need any more of those gifts anymore. I tend to think, though, that what Paul is saying is that when Jesus comes and we see him face to face and the time of this earth is done and we're in glory, perfection has come. He says that we will be known then right we'll be fully known and we will fully know we will we won't need faith in that sense right what how does how does faith described in hebrews who knows that one hebrews 11 hebrews 12 hebrews 11. hebrews 11 anyone know that verse faith is what being sure of what of what we hope for things that are unseen all right, the unseen that we hope for. And we're sure of it. That's what faith is. One day, there won't even need to be a place for that type of hope anymore. One day, there won't need to be a place for that type of faith anymore. We will be standing face to face with our Savior for eternity. He will be seen, evidence, and we will be known by Him. And, and He will be known by us. But until that happens... Paul says, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And what's the greatest? He says, love, right? Love. In this world, change is inevitable. It is. Culture changes, technology changes, even our knowledge changes. It's not difficult, I don't think, for us to grasp that necessarily. In an ever sort of changing, ever... um, It seems change is happening in an ever increasingly increment even. The tools that we need, they change as well. For example, when I went to Bible college in 1995, I had an entire subject on the use of the OHP to supplement ministry. Some of you are laughing, some of you... Most of you younger are going, OHP. Huh? Is that like a special ministry technique? Yes, it was magic. (laughs) All right. It was. It it was. And you needed to have the spiritual gift of OHP working. So scary. Okay. If you were put on to OHP roster, you had to be able to read things upside down, back to front. (laughs) You also had to be able to know and think under pressure when you put. Let me tell you what an OHP is, Overhead Transparency or Overhead Projector. It was a box with a very bright light in it and a series of mirrors. It magically took whatever you wrote on a clear piece of paper and put down there and it projected it up there. It was incredible. You could do all sorts of amazing amazing things with it. We did a whole week of Bible College lecturing on the use of an OHP. Then PowerPoint came along and we learned about transitions, <laughs> amazing, everyone had those bouncing transitions and explosions and all sorts of things on the screen. The point of all of that is to say, the overhead transparency or the overhead projector was a brilliant tool in its time, but now it's little more than a novelty, do we even have one? Do we? oh, We've got one. We've got one. I think- we've- we might have, Nest might have thrown it out. <laughs> all, all that to say is that over time, God uses different things. And they're the perfect thing for that time. But they change. And Paul is saying that even giftedness changes. Even the usefulness of certain gifts at certain times changes. That's fine. The gift isn't what is ultimate, Paul says. Love is. Love is what is ultimate. Gifts are good in their right place and in their right time, but eventually we don't need them anymore. When we see Jesus face to face, when the world as we know it is little more than a memory, faith will have turned aside. Hope will have been fulfilled. And all that will be left will be our want or our need of Jesus. That we just love him that for an eternity we want to worship him that we want to be in his presence that we want to recall that he's done for us and so we finish up by just asking this where do we go from here where do we go from here i asked you a series of questions at the beginning are you still trying to figure out your gift or are you still trying to work out where you fit in this church Then my my suggestion for you, my request of you, is maybe stop pursuing the gift. I'd even say stop trying to figure out your fit. Just pursue loving your church. How will you love your church? I'm not talking about like those weird Beatles all we need is love vibe where we all just sort of come together and it's just like, oh, we all love it here. I hope you do, but... What can you do this week to love your church? Like a real practical type of love, that someone will walk away from meeting with you and just say, I felt really loved. I felt like they cared for me. What can you do this week to love your church? Actively pursue loving people in this church and if we are all mutually doing the same thing guess what starts to happen not only are you actively pursuing how to love other people in this church you'll start to discover that there are people who are actively pursuing how to love you in this church so your your gift i believe what paul is saying is if you pursue love then your gift bubbles to the surface. Sometimes I think we've pursued the gift. What's my gift? I can't do anything until I know what my gift is. I can't can't do anything until I know where my gift fits. Paul's saying a better way, instead of pursuing the gift, pursue the love. Pursue love in this church. Pursue how to love people well in this church. And as you do that, I think your gifts will start to bubble to the surface. As you think, how will I love these people that I'm going to connect with this week? How will I reach out and make sure that this person feels embraced and loved and and heard and listened? Whether you're a foot or a hand or an eye or an ear or even an elbow will become very clear. As you seek to love this church you'll start to see that your gift rises up. God's given it to you. You have it. How will it be used? Where will it be used? In what context? In love. If it's not, then all of this is a waste of time anyway. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you loved us. In fact, your word tells us very clearly You loved us when we didn't love you. In fact, we were enemies with you. We were the opposite of love. We hated you. We despised the idea of a God in our life. And even then, you loved us. You pursued us. You died for us. You made a way for us to come into fellowship with you. You loved us. That's how we know what love is, your word says that you loved us. So Lord, now as we take that love and seek to love this church, love those around us, Lord, help us to pursue evidence of that love. And Lord, you've given us gifts to do that with. We pray that you would make those clear. Help us to use them well so that this church, so that this community would know the love of God.